Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. So this week, we are in week four of the Breaking Bad Sermon Series. And if you remember, I, t- I introduced you to a guy named Walter White who was a um, high school chemistry teacher. And he came to a point in his life where it seemed like everything was going wrong. Um, his, uh, he, he was a high school teacher, so it means he wasn't getting paid a lot of money. His um, oldest son suffered uh, medically. His wife had just found out that she was pregnant. And he found out that he was dying from cancer. And so with all of these things happening in his life, Walter White made a decision. And, and one of the themes that I've shown you is we have the, the choice to make a good decision or to break bad and make a bad decision. And, and so Walter made a bad decision. And then after that bad decision, he made another bad decision. And then when it's all said and done, he lost everything that he was trying to save because he was breaking bad on all of his decisions. And so um, this week, what I want to talk to you about is the topic of social media and your spiritual life. Now, how in the world will I be able to do that and, and uh, make a sermon out of it? Let me, let me share this with you. Uh, there's a verse in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 2, and it says this. Proclaim the message, persist in it whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And so um, what you've probably been feeling like is the last couple of weeks, you've maybe hearing some rebuking or correcting. Uh, this week, what I want to do is I want to encourage you all. And, and so uh, hear that um, from the heart that it comes from your pastor is the, the encouragement. And so what I asked for was uh, not the normal um, pulpit that, that you see up here, but to have a table and uh, be able to sit casually and, and talk about a subject that's very relevant. Because whether or not you realize that things change. Um, things are changing in our world. And if you think about transportation, well, when transportation first started off, it was all about walking. You walked to, to where you wanted to go. And then one day they figured out that they could domesticate animals. And, and so you could ride the animal. And then they took those animals and then they gave them, um, hooked them up to wagons. And then one day they uh, the, had a, um, the internal combustion engine was created. And when that was created, people started driving where they wanted to go. Um, before the vehicle was created, there was a thing maybe you're familiar with here in Centralia called trains. And they, they created trains. And trains were um, how that, you know, we connected the two coasts of our country. Um, I think maybe that's the, a bit of the, the name of Centralia is that we were that center part for uh, those east-westbound trains and north and south. Um, Well, not only does transportation change, but um, you'll find out that uh, worship changes. Um, And the style that we do worship um, is different today in 2018 than what they did in the 1600s. Um, Do you know that um, in the 1600s they didn't have pianos in the church service? 
uh, the pianos were uh, originally um, a saloon, a barroom instrument. And so when, what, what did they have in the church? They had organs. Well, it's hard to find an organ in a church today. So you see, communi- uh, worship changed. Not only um, did they change f- out from the piano, but you'll see some churches that have, uh, well, look, we had a bunch more instruments up here. I saw a bass guitar. Uh, I don't know which was the other guitar, acoustic guitar. A banjo. Um, boy, did that sound good when he started picking on the banjo. So um, the way that we worship changes over the years. And believe it or not, you know, when we look back 10 years from now, the way that we worship will change. Here in this church and in, in many other churches. Um, the way that we communicate changes. I mean, when they started off, they started off with scrolls. And I don't know if you realize this, but when they were writing the Bible, the, the Scripture, um, the priests, as they were writing the, the Word of God, if they made a mistake, they had to destroy the whole document. Then they went in through a ceremonial cleansing where they would uh, literally set themselves apart for days and then come back and start writing again. Um, and so not one of those scrolls could have one error. Well, you know, we progressed, and eventually one day they came up with um, the printing press. Uh, I was fortunate. To, my dad was stationed in Germany as a, as a child, and so I got to go to the Gutenberg Museum. And, and uh, uh, Gutenberg was the guy who invented the printing press and printed the first Bible. All right, And so now instead of relying on scrolls, they had the ability to mass produce and be able to put Bibles in the hands of everybody instead of just being able to go into um, the church and hear it or to hear someone that's a a religious leader um, to read the scripture to them. Well, communication uh, changed from the printing press till um, eventually we have what's called the Internet. Has anyone ever heard of the Internet? Uh, Today we have an internet, and in this there's a lot of information that flows. Um, And the way that, so for example, like uh, I've got, not only do I have this Bible, but I've actually got a box full of printing press Bibles that I've used throughout the years. And what I find more often than not nowadays is my Bible looks a lot like this. So you, you probably haven't figured that out, but I come up here, and this is uh, normally what I preach. And so this is called an iPad, and they've got a bunch of different ones. But I've actually got God's Word on here. And not only do I have it on here, but I've also got it right here. So, you know, sometimes if you, if you see me looking at something, especially uh, during a church service, I'm probably either taking notes or um, might be reading a passage. But... Most often, as we change, um, when we see somebody in church that pulls their phone out, what are we thinking? They're going on Facebook, and they're, they're saying, what a great pastor Ronnie is. No, that's not what the, that we're thinking. We think they're going on Facebook and doing something. Um, but, folks, understand that um, things change. And so we may have the printed Word of God, which... Um, I love it. It was a hard transition for me to change from reading regular books, paperback books, to switch over to Kindle. But now almost all of my books are on Kindle, which is on this device, on this device, or on this device. Um, What I love is that no matter where I go, if I don't have my Bible with me, I still have my Bible with me. And so this is what we as a church need to understand because, believe it or not, um, not everybody embraces change. Not everybody in the church embraces change. I think about this when I was in Bible college, that the issue of guys wearing pink shirts came up. 
it got to be such a hot issue that the uh, president of the college addressed it. All right. And matter of fact, they were talking about guys who wore pink shirts were probably more in line with the devil than with the, the Bible college that we were going to. And, and, and you can imagine that that's created some conversations. And so finally, the, um, the president and, and the, the lead pastor gets up and he talks and he, and he says, let, let me help you understand something about this. He goes, when I was in Bible college, which had been a couple years before that, he said, um, nobody wore white shirts. So a white shirt back then when he was in Bible college was tantamount to what we were uh, uh, looking at the pink shirts at. And what was interesting was if you looked around that room, that 99% of the guys had on what? White shirts. So in that 40 years, and I'm being generous with him, in that 40 years since he had gone to Bible college, things had changed from wearing a colored shirt to most uh, men in the church back in the, the late 80s and early 90s were wearing white shirts. And what he wanted us to understand was it had nothing to do with the color of the shirt. It had to do with the heart that had you pick out the color of the shirt. And so I want to do that as a, as a pastor and share with you when I talk about the topic of social media. That, you know what, it's really probably not about social media, but rather the heart that we approach social media with. And so uh, let me open up a couple of things here. So I wanted to just be as comfortable as I could, almost trying to create, if, if I were sitting in your living room with you, this is the kind of conversation uh, that I would want to have with you. So, if I don't uh, knock anything over here. So, not only does change happen um, in the way that we do transportation, the way that communication, the way that we worship, but change happens in culture. You know, I don't know if you've realized this, but things are changing even here in Centralia. Um, things are changing out in the the economy. Uh, have you guys, do you guys remember a company called um, Blockbuster? What was Blockbuster? It was a video store, right? And they had these VCR tapes, and you, you'd, you'd go there on Thursday night or Friday night, and you'd walk out with a stack of six or seven, and, and you were getting yourself ready for the weekend, right? Because you had nothing else to do, but you wanted to be ready if you got bored to be able to watch uh, one of those videos. Well, um, there were a, a couple of entrepreneurs that approached Blockbuster and said, hey, we got this great idea. What if we took, because it was, we were, technology-wise, transition from VCR tapes to um, uh, DVDs and Blu-ray. And they approached him and said, look, what if we took your whole store, could fit it into the, a box the size of a refrigerator, and we put it outside of all these stores? What would you think? And we'll, we'll put these big blue boxes everywhere. And you know what Blockbuster told him? Get lost. That'll never happen. And so those guys said, you know what, we think it will. They found some investors, and they started up a, a company called Redbox. Well, how many blockbusters do you see out there today? I, I don't know if they're in existence at all. How many Redboxes do you see? A lot. And guess what? Yeah, they're definitely out at Walmart and CVS and other places, but probably what you also see is happening. It's transitioning beyond Redbox. Why? Because... Change happens. And so, you know, one of the things as a church that we need to be considerate of is that culture changes. The reality is that we are all looking for a culture that we feel comfortable in. 
Everyone in this room is looking for a place where they feel comfortable. Uh, those who come here regularly, you come here because you feel comfortable in this church. If you don't, you'll, you'll find another church because there's a lot in this area. They all have a different, different worship style, different preaching style, different people that sit in the, the pews. Well, not only does the, the culture change, but let me give you the definition of culture, and that's this. The culture is an outward expression of our inward attitudes of a particular social group. So think about it this way. The culture that you have here in Centralia is different than the culture that they have in Atlanta, Georgia, which is different than the culture that they have in San Diego, California. Why? Because culture is the outward expression of our inward attitudes. And you have to ask yourself, well, what is your inward attitude? We get to pick, pick that up. Because as a church, I think that we have a culture. And the, hopefully the culture that we have here at Temple Baptist Church Centralia is this. That we love God, that we love people, and that we make disciples. Now, the first two are the great commandments. They, a lawyer asked Jesus, so what are the greatest commandments? Because here's the two. Love God and love people. And the third um, that I believe should be a part of our culture as a church is to make disciples. That's the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples of all nations. So we're supposed to do that here in Centralia, and we're supposed to do that elsewhere here in the United States, and we're supposed to do that outside of the United States. So if this is what we're going to do is that, that we're going to create a culture um, and our culture is the outward action. See, it's easy for us to say that we love God. Especially here. It's easy for us to say that we love people. And you know, it sounds cool to say that, hey, you know what, we're going to make disciples. But the challenge that we have is that that doesn't always happen that way. That we say it, but we're really not outwardly manifesting it. Because what we outwardly manifest is what we really value. It's what we truly do. And that's why Jesus um, had, had said when he talked about uh, love. You know, if we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and we love people just like we love God, we'll solve all the problems. All of the laws that they, that they gave hang upon those two different commandments. So what should we do? Well, um, I think of uh, Sam Rayner, who's a, a young pastor down in Florida, and I, I came across this quote, and he said this. He said, the church is a vehicle engineered by God to send people into the neighborhoods, into the nations. As much as we love people coming into this building, what we really should be our mission is to be reaching the folks that are not inside. You know, right now, probably 95% of Centralia is not in church. Now, even if we could get everybody in Centralia in the church, could we fit them in this building? Probably not. I don't know that we could fit them in all the different churches if we added them all up together. And so we need to think about things just a little bit differently. So let me ask you this. What if? What if there was nothing, like your health doesn't affect this, your finance didn't affect this, your work schedule didn't affect this? What if you had the ability to, let's just say, go over to Haiti, and you knew that if you went to Haiti and spent a week over there, you would impact 10,000 people? How many people in here, if... The, all those things lined up. Your health was perfect. Your finances, there, there was not a question with that. Um, getting over to Haiti, it was all uh, taken care of. And you knew that you would impact 10,000 people while you were there in Haiti. How many people would probably take that trip? I definitely would. 
um, wh- let me ask you this. What if there was another hurricane down on the Gulf Coast and that, again, the same thing happens? The money is not an issue. Your health is perfect. Your, uh, we have a, a team that's going down there. And if we go down there and we spend some time ministering to the people of the Gulf Coast who just got hit by a, another um, hurricane, what if you would impact 10,000 people? How many people would want to go down there and have that kind of impact? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm ready to sign me up. The question that we really have to ask is, how many times have we gone to our neighbor? Because I get it. It's easy to go to Haiti. It's easy to go down to the Gulf Coast. But, you know, a lot of times it's hard for us to go across the street. A lot of times it's hard for us to share our testimony with people that we pass on a daily basis. And so that is one of the things that we need to consider as a church when we think about our culture. So when we say we want to love God and love people and make disciples, our actions are our culture. What we really do with those words is the culture. So I don't know if you remember, but back in the the 90s, there was this little bracelet that a lot of people were wearing that said, what would Jesus do? Anyone ever see one of those? All right, I had one. And the concept was, um, Shelton had wrote a book in his steps, and in that book, he had asked the question, what would Jesus do? And a revival um, resulted from that. And so if you're asking, hey, well, what would Jesus do when it came, comes to the culture that's changing in 2018? Well, let's find out, because I think he shared it with us in the book of John, chapter 4. Let me read a couple verses to you. I'm going to start off reading in verse um, Six, and it says this, Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, the Samaritan woman asked? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying it to you, give me a drink. You would ask him, and he would give you living water. Now, I want you to look back up at verse 6, and it says, he sat down at the well. And this is what I believe Jesus would do. First of all, Jesus would go to where the people are. Now, what's interesting that is not only did he go to the well, but look when he went to the well. It was at 6 in the evening. Now, they normally went out at first thing in the, in the morning to get water. They didn't wait until the end part of the day. A, it was hotter, and B, they were thirsty at first thing in the morning. And so typically the people that were going to the well at this time of day were the ones who didn't want to be seen by other people. And that was the case here with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus knew that. Because remember, he had told his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. I've got a mission that needs to take place. And he knew that there was going to be a woman, and he knew about her life, and he knew that she needed to hear his message. And so in verse 11, it says this. Sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is too deep. So where do you get this living water that he told her about? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? And he gave us the well and drank from it himself and um, did this, his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty even in fact, the water I'll give him will become a well of water springing up with him, within him for eternal life. 
Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw more water. And if you look back up at that uh, verse 11, she pointed out that Jesus didn't have the utensils that he needed. Now, remember this, that, that she is asking Jesus, what are you talking about? Because you didn't even come prepared to get your own water. And what I think you'll find out is when we, when we encounter our, the culture, that we'll, you'll know that you're connecting when they start asking questions back. Because if, 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 you, if you give them something and they think, thank you very much, and they move on, what's the chances that they're going to do anything with it? Nothing. They just keep on moving. They don't think twice about us. But when they see something and they got a question, they'll ask us questions. And so in verse 16, it says this. Go, call your husband. He told her, and come back here. Well, I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Now think about this. A Samaritan woman is talking to a Jewish man. All right, So there's a lot of things going on here. All right. Number one is that she was a Samaritan talking to a Jew. Number two is that she was an outcast, even probably among the Samaritans, talking to uh, Jesus about religious matters. And one of the things that we have the opportunity as a church is to talk about religious things. But the problem is most of us never ever get to that stage where they'll ask us questions. And then they'll start asking us questions about... Because here she's putting this out there. She's saying... Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet the Jews say that that's not... I mean, there was a conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. She's asking, why, why would you talk to me? Why would you share this, this special water with me, knowing that our different religions clash? And Jesus answers the um, next question in verse uh, 21. It says, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming... When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because the salvation is from the Jews. Jesus speaking of himself. He was the salvation that would come through the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. See, Jesus identified that there are worshipers and then there are true worshipers. And the reality is you are encountering a lot of people on a regular basis that you have no idea, but they are seeking. They are looking because God has created us as humans for that need. We all know that there's something missing until we have Jesus in our heart. And we're looking for that all our lives. And the problem is that we try to find it in all these things that don't matter. And, and they work out for a couple months, and then we get back to that empty feeling. And they work out for a couple years, and then we get back to the empty feeling. And so the question I have is, if, if she engaged Jesus by asking him questions, and then was willing to open up and talk to him about religion, because, you know, there's certain things that you're not supposed to talk about at work. What's one of those? Religion. 
And so now she's doing this. And just imagine the, the well where Jesus is at is the modern-day water cooler in a big office building with a bunch of people that, that are there. And so let me take you to the next verse. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. See, even the Samaritans believed in the Messiah and that the Messiah will one day come, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And this is what Jesus says to her. He says, I am he, the one speaking to you. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that Jesus was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Jesus identified who he was. He says, I am the Christ. You know, Jesus' middle name wasn't Christ. His last name wasn't Christ. The title, the Christ, is just that. It was a title. And so when, you, when we say Jesus, we say Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus identified to the woman at the well that I am. The Messiah. Now, you know what? That wasn't a popular thing for people to hear. Why? Because they were still waiting for the Messiah. Even the, the, um, the Jewish leaders, when Jesus would identify himself as the Messiah, they rejected him and ultimately crucified him. So let's read the next verse. And then the woman left her water, went into town, and told the men, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town, made their way to him, and in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So she is now going back to her people and asking the question, could this be the Messiah? Think about it. Here was this man who doesn't normally talk to women. Here was this man who was a Jew who doesn't normally talk to the Samaritans. Here was this man who told her stuff that no one else probably knew about. That's why she was going to the well when no one else was there. And she is wondering, could he really be the Messiah? And she wondered enough to tell her friends. Next verse says this. And the disciples said one to another, could someone have brought him something to eat? All right, now think about this. Jesus has just had a miraculous encounter with the Samaritan woman. And his disciples are trying to figure out, you know, did, did we miss something? Did, you know, someone else come over here with food? They're, they're not getting it. They're not on the same wavelength that Jesus is. And Jesus tells them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And verse 35, don't you say there are still four months, then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already for the harvest. And here's what many um, scholars believe, is that um, if you've ever looked at a field of grain, when it's ripe, it looks white. But see, it was still four months until it would be ripe. But if when Jesus said, look, the fields are ripe unto harvest, we believe that there was a group of men coming from the village. And what did those men wear back then? They wore these white hats. And here they're coming, and there was the harvest. And folks, I'm here to tell you that today the field is ripe unto harvest here in Centralia. I asked you hypothetically, would we go to Haiti to reach 10,000 people? And I believe all of us would. Would we go down to the Gulf Coast to help 10,000 people? I believe we would. The question is, are we willing to help 10,000 people here in Centralia? I think somewhere down inside we want to, we just don't know how to. But I believe that the answer was given to us by Jesus. 
And Jesus said this, or did this. He went to where the people are. And so let me ask you this. Where are the people of Centralia today? I want them here, but they're not. They're probably sitting in their homes. And guess what they're doing sitting in their homes? That's right. They might be looking at Facebook. They might be looking at my website. No, um, they, I don't know what they're probably doing, but I guarantee you that they're walking around looking like this. Have you, have you seen this here in Centralia? Yeah, this is, this is how they walk around. This is where they're at, folks. Now, here's what we can do is we can say, you know what? That, that's a bunch of nonsense and not meet them where they're at. And that's okay, because trust me, Jesus will get to them. The question is, are we going to be the church that he uses to reach this community? Because if we are, God's just waiting for us to say, yes, send me, I'll go. Because he has made the way. And so here's what is interesting. You may not know this. I've been sharing this with a couple of people, and everyone that I've shared this with is surprised. But we started recording our sermons here as a church um, back in December. And since December, we've had over 1,000 downloads of our sermons. And so what I want to do is I want to show you um, where we're doing that. And so you, you see here, this is our church website. And so I, if you've got your phones, I'd encourage you to do it now. If you don't want to do it now, just think about what I'm about to say is our church website. There's two different websites. One is called TBCC Temple Baptist Church Centralia, TBCC or TBCCentralia.com. You want an easier one than that? That's, how, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Type this in, TBCC.family. Either one of those take you back to this page right here. Um, would you open it up? And I want to show them that tab up in the upper right-hand corner. Because if you go to the, the tab in the upper, here, hit that green, um, the, the top left of that window, hit that green one, and that should give you the ability. There you go. And then just scroll that over. There you go. See that tab right there? If you pull that down, it gives you a couple choices. Um, and one of those choices is sermons. And she's actually already on. Click that again. This takes you to our sermon page. If you scroll down just a little bit, you can see that we've got 13 sermons there. And if you scroll inside where the actual sermon is, scroll that down right there. Yep, just uh, to the right of that, there's the bar a little further. Yep, and pull that down. And there's all the different sermons that we have. And so here's what you don't understand is that there's people who never come to our church that are listening to our sermons. Because I know you don't know about that, and so you're not listening to them online. Um, but a thousand people have. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that we as a church have the ability to impact 10,000 people in Centralia before the end of the year. But the, the truth of the matter is 10,000 people probably aren't going to come into these doors and sit in the pews beside you. And it's not because they don't like you. It's because it's 2018 and they're doing something different. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, are you going to be willing to go to the well and meet the Samaritan woman? Jesus was. And we as a church have an opportunity to do this. How, what does it look like to go to the well? Well, that's where I want to talk to you about social media and what we do here as a church. Because, trust me, I am not trying to convince you to go out and start a Facebook account today. But what I do want you to understand is, if you do or if you've already got 
um, any kind of social media presence, you have the opportunity to impact hundreds, if not thousands of people on a daily basis. Let me explain to you a little bit about how social media works and, and why this is uh, important to me. Um, just down the road here off of 64, Scott Air Force Base, um, back in 2008, I was in charge of putting uh, Air Force Ball on. And uh, I had been very busy, and the cell phone that I had was a flip phone. You remember those flip phones? It's called a Crazer. And, man, I thought I was the coolest thing because after I got done talking, what did I do? All right, it sounded great, you know, and I thought it was important. I put that cell phone in the back of my pocket or wherever it was at, and then I walk around. Someone call me, I flick it out, and I start talking like I'm so important. When I'm done, what I do? All right, so I had this flip phone, and the battery went dead. Uh-oh, all right, danger, Will Robinson. I've got a problem, and I need my wife to bring something to where I was at, and so I couldn't reach her on my phone. So one of my young airmen who, who was in the Air Force with me at the same time, um, I said, hey, could I borrow your phone? And so he handed me this phone. It looked weird. It didn't flip cool like mine did, but it was called an iPhone. And so he handed me that phone, and I just looked at it. And I turned it around, and I, you know, I did all kinds, of, and nothing happened. I said, look, um, I gave it back to him. I said, this is my wife's number. I need to call that. So he did something else, handed it back to me. And I'm just looking at it. I, I can't get it to do what I wanted to do. I'm like, talk, and, it, and nothing happens. And so I hand the phone back to him. I said, look, hand me the phone back when it's ringing. And so he handed the phone back to me. I look, and sure enough, it's ringing, and there's my wife. I pass the message on to my wife. She comes, saves the day, brings what I needed, all right? And what I realized then was, you know what? I am not going to let technology pass me by. Because what was I comfortable with? I was comfortable with the flip phone, all right? And what I realized was, you know what? The airmen that I work with, and, and, and I had almost 300 working for me, they were all using a different type of phone. And I never wanted to be that far behind them in technology. So guess what I did the next day? I went to the AT&T store and I bought me an iPhone. All right? Now, you know, here's what happened. Um, I, I buy the phone and it looks cool. It's in this box. And the guy says, you want me to show you how to use this? I'm like, you know. Get back in the truck. I got this. And so I started driving and then someone started calling me and I didn't know how to answer the phone. So it happened to be a Wednesday. I went to church, and there was the cool guy at church. He had all kinds of hip stuff, and I saw he had an iPhone, so I walked up to him. I said, hey, how do you dial these things? And then he showed me this one button did like 50 billion things. And so now here I am, 10 years later, seven iPhones later, but now I have an ability to reach um, thousands of people with this little phone that I carry around. And what I would encourage you is to think about it that way. Instead of thinking about it as, you know what, I'm not used to this. Learn. Because if we're willing to learn, what we'll find out is there's a lot of people that we can impact, that'll listen to us, that'll ask us questions. And when they ask us questions, ultimately, I guarantee you a conversation to get back to religion. Because that's what everybody's looking for is the answers to those questions. And they won't talk about that unless they trust you. And that's really what social media is all about. Let me share with you as a church how you, without doing anything else, can impact not only Centralia, but maybe a lot of our church. 
We, we have five different next steps that we believe everyone in the church should be thinking about. The first one is get in, right? You need to claim your identity in Christ. You need to become saved. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, don't leave without finding out what that's all about. Those of you who have gotten in, who have claimed your identity in Christ, who have accepted what Jesus did on the cross, well, there's four other steps you can take. You get to pick which one. Do you want to find purpose? Do you want to serve somewhere in the church and and serve something that's greater than yourself? Or do you want to invite somebody? Or do you want to choose community, get involved and create relationships? Or do you want to live generously? Well, I want to talk to you about inviting somebody, and I want to show you how that it was a very simple way we can invite people to our church, and we didn't even realize that. How do we do that? We go where the people are. And believe it or not, um, you're going to in- interact with people throughout the next week, but how many people are you going to interact with in the next seven days? Probably 100. You have the ability to reach ten- thousands. And believe it or not, I just looked at a, there's a group of 40 of us in, in the TBCC family Facebook group. And if you just looked at all the friends that everybody has on there, there's over 10,000 combined. And when I say over, I'm talking more than 20,000. It was amazing the impact that we have as a church. But we're not using it. How do we use this? Well, th- this is what we do on social media. You can do, do one of three things. One is you can like Somebody posts something, and you just hit a like on it. Or you can um, write a comment, or you can share it. Because here's what happens. Listen to this. Folks, this is what's incredible about this. If you do any of those three things, all of your friends that, that call themselves your friends, I know I got 900 of them, and I probably couldn't name off more than 100. But every time I like something, I share something, or I make a comment, they see it. So here's what's interesting. We get to decide, are we going to decide right when it comes to social media, or are we going to break bad? Are we going to make good decisions? Are we going to make bad decisions? Because the reality is that whichever decision we make, it has its consequences. Remember, I've been telling you this every week. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Whether that sin is what we saw in David and Bathsheba, whether that sin is Solomon deciding that he wants to do it his way and not God's way, or whether that sin is like last week, the prodigal son who just wanted to consume. Well, the same thing is true for us. Um, believe it or not, seven out of ten of you sitting here are already out there on social media. You're already out there where the people are. But chances are that not everybody is making good decisions on social media. We're probably breaking bad. And here is your pastor. I just want to share this with you. That ultimately those decisions that, that, that we decide to break bad on are going to take us further than we want to go. It's going to keep us longer than we want to stay. And it's going to cost us more than we want to pay. And so we have the choice. Will we use social media to satisfy our desires or will we use it to reach more people? As your pastor, I want us to use it to reach more people. But I also know that there's a Bible verse that talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Most people are making the decision when it comes to their social media to to scratch that itch of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, 
simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.